Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Six Degrees of Associations. Our host, Lucas McCann, today is joined by yours truly, the podcast producer, Casey Callanan. And we also have a very special first-time guest here, Elizabeth Johnson. She is the executive vice president with Big Red M. Today, we're talking about optimizing some untapped revenue opportunities for associations. That's something that these two know all about. But um, I'm going to back things up just a little bit before I jump into some questions here. And Elizabeth, I want you to just introduce yourself for listeners and tell us a little bit about Big Red M. Sure. Uh, Hi, Casey. Um, Hi, Lucas. My name is Elizabeth Johnson. I'm the Executive Vice President of Consulting here at Big Red M. Um, Big Red M does two things. The first thing that we do is we sell membership sponsorships, exhibits, advertising on behalf of associations. The other thing that we do is we consult associations on uh, anything related to those items. So how to sell it better, how to um, uh, we'll look at dues analysis, we'll look at sponsorship analysis, and we'll do strategic planning as well as a handful of other things. But anything related to revenue, that's really our wheelhouse. I'll back up and, and brag on Elizabeth for a second as well. So um, at the AC annual meeting, she had the opportunity to lead a session with another uh, association executive. The room was full. I got to go in there and listen. It was all about new creative uh, non-dues revenue ideas. And we ran small groups and then brought it back into large groups. There was a great presentation. And so for me, it was very inspirational. It's like, there's so many ideas out there and you can pick and choose. Uh, and, you know, at Red M, we don't want to be everything. We want to be focused on those that we think we can do really, really well. We do really, really well. And so sponsored research is one of those. And the concept at a high level is very simple. It's you take and collect industry information and data and research, and then you allow the right sponsor, industry partner, member, fill in the blank, to essentially attach their brand and name recognition to that information and disseminate it to to membership or industry. And that can be you know, paid or not paid in a sponsored situation. Typically, that lends itself to an opportunity where you could distribute this research results to a larger audience and even have the smaller members or members who can't be, don't have the, the funds to sponsor access to some great industry data. Associations may already be sitting on this data. Is that is that something that you see? Because obviously everyone wants to kind of increase the amount of efficiencies in their process of generating revenue, right? Like work smarter, not harder. Are you seeing that you know people might already be sitting on this data and it becomes kind of a a turnkey situation where you know someone like a big red M comes in and and helps them take the next step on, on getting it sponsored. That could be information they're sitting on, as you said, or it could be new information that they just simply don't have the bandwidth to go out there and collect currently. Elizabeth, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I was just going to say I think a lot of the focus when people are talking about non-dues revenue tends to be around events, right? They just assume okay, non-dues revenue sponsorships and sponsorship is live events, and so that means having somebody sponsor the coffee and the lanyards and the key cards and all those basic kind of things that really just underwrite the costs that are associated to the event that you have. Um, those can be limiting um, in regards to how many sponsors you can have. It can be limiting in regards to the price and the profit margin on it. 
Um, when we're talking about non-dues revenue with associations and we're trying to think more outside the box, we like to talk about something like sponsored research because it's not around the event. It's something that oftentimes is either already existing. Um, as mentioned, you know, obviously there's always really good data that's coming from associations. They're generating reports as a member benefit. Um, but sometimes there's custom things that people in the market are looking for and an association can customize that research um, for someone that's looking for it and um, they can sell it. And that's essentially what sponsored research is. And you can bring it one level further. And if you don't have anybody to do it for you, or excuse me, if you don't have anybody in-house that's doing it or you don't have the data already existing, you can hire somebody to do it, but still have it sponsored and underwritten. And uh, I'll hold off in a minute, but there's a handful of benefits that go along with that as to why someone would want to sponsor research, what sorts of companies would do it, why they would do it and what they would get out of it. And then what in turn your association gets out of it besides just revenue. Yeah. And I, I would add to that, like the juxtaposition of it not being a, an event means the value can be extended beyond this particular period, right? Typically the value of the event happens within, you know, one to three, maybe four days, depending on how long this is going on and people are at a particular site or engaged in particular sessions. The content and value of the data project can go on beyond. Now, at some point, you know, the data was collected at a point in time. And so it begins to age. And over time, the value potentially goes down because it's not as relevant other than being historically some information that was uh, a snapshot in time, but it goes on for, I mean, that, that data could be relevant for, for months or even a full year. And so you can continue just like content that you would produce Casey on a podcast, people can continue to come back and revisit that. And you have more means of distributing. Um, so the value of that sponsored research isn't just necessarily the research, but also the ongoing nature of the research. Mm -hmm. And so like along those lines, Lucas, you know, obviously there's the time of it, right? So there's the length of time is further than an event-based one, but also the reach, right? So oftentimes you would think, okay, this is going to go to the association members and they're going to see the company that sponsors it, which is probably a supplier member, somebody that has stakes in the industry, their name's going to be on it and they're going to get the promotion of it. Well, a lot of the sponsored research research work that I've done with clients is that part of the sponsorship deal is that they also get to have their name on it and that they can share it. And so what they find is that it's a great value because that's another tool for their marketing team to use. So they will go to other industry events. They'll go to their own, maybe if it's a software company, their own user program, user event, something like that. Um, or even just any sort of outbound marketing that they're doing and say, hey, look at this great report that we put together with this industry trade association and all this data that we got. So when we're selling it, um, we're always selling it as having really a lot of legs on it. There's different ways you can sell it, different length of time that you can sell it, um, and that we allow them to repurpose that information for other things. So there's a as I was mentioning before, there's a lot of benefits that can come out of something like this other than just kind of, quote unquote, having your name on it. Exactly. And I, I think the same sort of rules apply, though, for these sponsorships. I don't want to, to miss this opportunity. You still need to ask the sponsor or potential sponsor, why do you want to do this? Right. It's really important because some people want to get into a sponsored research program for different reasons, just like you would sponsoring an exhibit. 
some want to go there to do sales, right? They want to get their name on something that, you know, potentially somebody would go research their name or their brand. Sometimes they just went through a, a brand overhaul, right? And they have a new logo that they just want to put on something that's going to be distributed. Uh, in some cases, they really just want access to the information so badly they're willing to pay for it. And then they're okay if other people get it too, because that helps the industry and them in turn. Um, so I think understanding why somebody would want to do a sponsor research program is important because it also lends itself to a repeat program over time. Typically, these can snowball, right? Put out a really good piece of information and research, and it's got XYZ members logo on it. Other people want to step up and say, how do I get my logo on something like that? I want to do something custom. And that program can start to generate larger volumes of revenue, better content, larger projects over time. Elizabeth, you were telling us a lot about the benefits from obviously the association who is receiving the revenue, but then from the sponsor's perspective, there is a lot of benefits in coming up with this kind of agreement. Um, what, what else did you want to tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of as Lucas had mentioned in regards to um, the uh, customizing it, um, you know, there's there's a whole breadth of different benefits that you can provide, obviously, pending whatever works for your association and, and what you're okay with. Um, I'm going to run kind of just all of through all of the different benefits that can come with this type of program. Um, and obviously, some will work and some will won't. But what I really like about it is that it encompasses all three of the things that sponsors typically try and hit. If they're sponsoring something, they either want branding, right? They want their name on it and the notoriety. Um, and the recognition with it. They want thought leadership. So they want to be known as somebody that is providing good information in the industry, that are leading the industry in this type of um, information. And or they want the access um, to individuals or what we would put under kind of the networking uh, group. So networking, thought leadership, or branding. Those are the three things that we're looking for. With thought leadership, excuse me, with sponsored research, you can offer benefits in all three of those areas. So of course, with branding, their name will be on it. They're going to say that this is sponsored by this group, that their name is on it. They get, might get to write a foreword or something like that. Mm. Um, with thought leadership, again, they are putting that information out there. They can have that information in front of all their members, but they can also repurpose that information, as I mentioned earlier, to outside of the association, to markets, to their own email marketing. Um, they can have it on their website. That's not uncommon. I've seen um, sponsors take reports with associations, have a special landing page on their own website. Well, they'll say, hey, download our white paper that we did in conjunction with Blank Association, and we'll send it to you. So it can be a great lead capture. And then lastly, we're also looking at um, networking. And I have seen associations that when there is this co-branded sponsored research together, they will allow the sponsor to present uh, pre present that information to a board or a specific committee or something like that, which is very valuable time and something usually very difficult to get to do, right? We don't have sponsors for boards typically. We don't let them in those types of things. But if you're bringing uh, high value information and um, data and research um, to these individuals, that is kind of a nice little gateway or backdoor, if you will, uh, into um, that high level of leadership within the association. But of course, again, that asterisk on that is that it would have to be approved by the association what they're comfortable doing. Yeah, but what a great value prop. I mean, 
it's very difficult to get that level of access on the networking, certainly not at the events, because there's not always, you know, board meetings that are going to form at whatever level of the board it may be. Um, so I think that's that's just huge. And even those that are doing it today may not have thought of that type of, of angle for it. Um, and again, that could be something that maybe you're doing it today, maybe you're sponsoring it today, but that takes it from a fifty to a hundred thousand dollar you know revenue opportunity. Yeah, and along those lines, you know, we know the Big Red M team typically does a great job of helping associations kind of step away from those traditional revenue sources and really find ways to increase financial stability in in just non-obvious ways is, I guess, the best way to put it. Um, Lucas, I know we had talked about a value prop review. That is another piece of this puzzle when you talk about untapped revenue opportunities that associations might be sitting on. Why don't you introduce us to that concept? So value prop review is very simply the the measure of how much value are we bringing to our industry and our membership and at which levels right so the the value prop of joining the the association in most cases is very different for members towards the top than members towards the bottom if you have you know depending on your sort of hierarchy or different member types but you want to understand what's drawing everybody in and to what degree at any one time. So I think this is something we recommend you do every couple of years. I think it is, Elizabeth, that you check back in, you do the surveying, you understand qualitatively and quantitatively how well is your message and value prop um, being perceived and received by the members, both prospect and existing. So things that you're putting out to new members uh, you just need to be cognizant of hey, what's drawing them in, what's keeping them around. In some cases, those are very different things. So I I would bow to Elizabeth on this as she does this more often than than me or anybody in the organization as it relates to the value prop. So, I mean, I, I would say, Elizabeth, what else are you seeing in terms of a benefit there? Why do this? You know, how often that type of thing? Yep. Um, so in regards to value proposition um, analysis, we want to make sure that we're doing that every so often because um, a lot of associations will just say, oh, this is the value and this is why people join. And quite often it's just kind of the answers because that's just what they've always been told. And that's just kind of the culture and, and what is being told inside their office. Um, but every so often it is... Um, you know, of service for them to reach out to their members and actually get that feedback and find out why they're actually joining. What that also does as well is allows us to hone in on the benefits. And so this is something I kind of preach to associations a lot, which is, you know, all the biggest complaint I hear from associations is how busy they are, how overwhelmed their staff is. And oftentimes what we find is that their staff are doing a lot of things. Um, and a handful of those things might be unnecessary that they don't even need to be doing because it's a benefit that they've always offered. They don't actually know how much that benefit's being utilized, but they have maybe a whole staff person dedicated to it. Well, if we went through and we researched and we found out what our members really want, what's of really a value to them, that helps us realize what the benefits should be and what they should be receiving. And so that allows us to focus thereby, it's kind of a waterfall effect, thereby we're spending our time on things that actually uh, create value that actually retain members and move the needle um, on what we're trying to do as an association and take the things that are not as of importance 
off the table and off the hands of our staff that are already completely overwhelmed. So keeping to the subject of the revenue game, you know, if you're taking things out of the hands of your staff that are not necessary and not of benefit, well, now they have more time to do things that could be more uh, revenue related. That's a great point. I think just backing up when you hear value prop review, it feels like we're just going to tell you if your mission statement is still on point. And the reality is what Elizabeth just mentioned is way more powerful is then we're going to take everything that you do and then we're going to filter it back through it. And does it pass the sniff test of like, you should be doing this or you shouldn't. And that's where tactically you find savings, whether it's time, money, an entire staff resource, somebody that, you know, here's a role that we've been doing forever that actually could be split. It could be changed out for a different role. I don't think we do that necessarily to like make a bunch of staff changes. Um, but oftentimes that's one of an option, you know, options of recommendations. If we were to make two or three, for example, that might be one um, that you may just not be thinking about. Cause again, to stop and look intrinsically at what everybody's doing day to day is not, not something that everybody's stopping to do as often as they should. Uh, these are things that associations can do on their own, right? They don't, we don't necessarily need Big Red M or companies like you to come in and do this. This is the point of this, this podcast is the point of our conversation today is to encourage everyone to kind of look at it, at what they have going on and see if there are any other opportunities. Does it make sense sometimes to bring a fresh set of eyes into a situation where you might be so in the weeds on something? I think it does. But again, like the point is we just want associations out there who might be listening to look at these existing opportunities and and sometimes just look at what you're already doing and what can be taken uh, into account to to find, as we're talking, untapped revenue opportunities. I want to work towards, you know, final thoughts, anything else that you wanted to touch on today in, in the vein of what we're discussing here, those kind of non-traditional revenue sources, cre getting creative, um, looking at what you're already doing. Anything else that I missed that that you guys wanted to hit on? I mean, we could do a whole multiple episodes on non-dues revenue, particularly outside of events. and mark I mean, there's so many different things that you can do that are not just sponsored research, that are not just live events um, that we could talk for other hours on. And there's so many things that you can do um, that still come back to revenue, right? It doesn't necessarily even have to be sponsored, but there's other things that you can do that will help um, uh, bring revenue in that might not necessarily be sponsored related. I think what you do need to do is to talk to somebody uh, you know, brainstorm with other colleagues in the space um, about what they're doing. Um, and I think a lot of times people, a lot of association folks like to look at other people in their same industry. Um, I would actually say take the blinders off that and just look across the association space and not necessarily, oh, well, I'm in chemicals and they're in chemicals and this is what they're doing. I talk to friends and colleagues that are just in anything different, but if they have the same uh, kind of environment with mem you know core members, supplier members, um, maybe same size. What are they doing? You know what what sorts of things are are they doing to bring in revenue? What sorts of things are they doing to increase their member value? And um, I would say just keep an open mind that it could work for anybody. It doesn't have to be specific to your industry. That's a great point. 
I mean, I, I think in, in your, um, to what you said, Casey, you don't have to use big red M for these things. I would, you know, look at, we have specific programs and projects that we utilize to help associations sort of refocus with the intent of growth minded um, revenue and membership or, you know, sort of go hand in hand. But these are things that you should be stopping and, and thinking about refocusing yourself Am I am I staying current? Am I staying relevant? Am I generating now and for the future the revenues that are going to be required to support the continued investments in technology and growth and live events and thought leadership that will take me beyond the next three years? Um, and then am I in an industry that um, is going to be relevant in ten years? And if so, how is it going to be relevant? I mean, you there was multiple associations that were focused around direct mail. And that industry has just shrank in terms of the number of associations that focus on direct mail, direct mail advertising, suppliers, and all of that as everything turns digital. Um, and so be thinking about, you know, not all associations will be, in fact, I don't know what the statistics are. Let's just say 50% won't be around in 50 years, making that up. But if you know you're not going to be around in 50 years, like, how do you prepare yourself for that? And so be, be thinking about that just from different angles. I think there's a lot of people that we've spoken with over the last few years that are kind of coming out of that COVIDness of like, you know, oops, we were really heavily focused in this one area and then COVID hit and it really messed us. So we need to be more prepared. So I would say almost like doomsday-ish recovery yeah. folks that are kind of looking at things. And then they have associations where they're in trouble. This is an issue, you know, and we're trying to, fix this one specific thing. Um, I love like ACEs, people I'd love to hear from are the associations that are already doing it well. And they basically just want a, a well check appointment, right? Like, I yeah. think we're getting everything. I don't think we're leaving anything on the table. But you know, if we've got a million dollar sponsorship program, and we're going to pay, you know, a, I don't know, 20, 30, $40,000 to have somebody come in and look at it and tell us that we're doing it right. So we can keep doing that for another three, four years, then that's a drop in the bucket. And so basically what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a problem to have somebody come in, to have somebody like, like Big Red M or another consulting firm to come in and, and, and help you. Um, I think those associations that are already doing it really well, but are doing themselves the service of making sure that they're doing it well and making sure that they're not leaving anything on the table and they're not missing anything. That's exactly like, that's the ideal scenario. Um, that's a high performing association that will be around for a very long time. Yeah. We, we use like lots of metaphors for that, but why well, I heard something recently that, and it was more about, you know, a personal thing. You can either spend time working on keeping yourself healthy or you can spend your time and money not being sick, like after, you know, recovering from being sick, right? So you can get up and work out and exercise and eat right and spend time and discipline doing that. Or you can spend your time and discipline getting yourself out of the hospital for some illness that you've created by not doing it. And so associations have the same choice. You can wait until you hit, you know, here's another metaphor that we use sometimes. So you've hit the Titanic, ex the, uh, the iceberg, and then have somebody come in and try to help you bail all the water out and right the ship and whatever you want to do, or you could go in for what Elizabeth said, the regular health checks, make sure that you're on the right course, that you're not about to hit the iceberg, that you're not going to get sick and start losing members because it's very difficult. Once you start going down 
to pull everything back up in the right direction. It's much easier to just check in along the way and make sure that, you know, your goals, your continued growth and your mission are on pace to be where you want to be. But unfortunately, we don't see that as often as the uh, the former. <laughs> that is a great place to, to put a stop to today's conversation, talking with Lucas McCann, host of the Six Degrees of Associations podcast with today's episode. Jumping on today, talking with Elizabeth Johnson, EVP with Big Red M. Of course, the website, bigredm.com, and we will put a link to um, that in the description of today's podcast. And of course, if you have any direct questions for Elizabeth, she is available as well. And we will be sure to put her email in the show notes too. Thank you both for joining us today. This is a great conversation and we will pick this up again later this year, I'm sure.